0: Welcome to our Soul Food Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. I'm going to cover a good bit today. I won't have you stand and read through that. We'll just read as we go along. Last week, we covered only the first four verses of Jude, and so uh, we'll be picking up at, at verse five today. But let's begin with prayer. Father, again, we thank you for bringing us together here this morning, and we just Thank you for the, the, the privilege of of joining with our brothers and sisters to to worship you and to just to fellowship in, in your spirit, Lord, and to, to hear your word and to receive your word. And Lord, I ask for your help this morning because without you I can do nothing. We just ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts, our minds, and put your word within us, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Now, just for a a quick review, you know, the writer of this book, uh, entitled Jude, but the writer of this book's name actually was Judas, the brother of Jesus, also the brother of of James. Well, why is he called Jude? Well, he had the unfortunate uh, situation of of having a fellow by the same name, who's also known as Judas Iscariot. And people just don't like to be known as Judas anymore. How many boys have you known named Judas? Nobody names their kid Judas, you know. And if you look, you know, in the Greek, the word translated Jude here, or in the case of Thaddeus, you know, who is also referred to as Jude, he was he was a Judas. Um uh, it's all the same word, but the translators, you know, chose the word Judas to dif- differentiate. You know, it just wouldn't sound quite as good to say Jude, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. I mean, Judas, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. You may stop and think. Well, wait a minute here. But anyway, you know, this is one of Jesus' brothers uh, who is writing, and he is writing to the church, the whole church and he was or had been writing or was planning to write you know concerning the common salvation you know that that we all have but was interrupted because of a urgent need to warn them against uh, false teachers who were creeping into the church and like i said last week you know this has been an ongoing problem ever since the church began I'm not sure just how old the church was before false teachers started creeping in, but I'm sure it was just a matter of a very, very short time. And as the church has grown, so has the problem of false teachers uh, entering in. Let's uh, look at at verse 5, where uh, Jude says, But I want to remind you, Though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Now he had just told us in verse four, you know, that that these false teachers were creeping in, unaware, just kind of sliding in, if you will, unnoticed by the church. And he's he's going to tell us first of all what's going to happen to them. Now, uh, one thing about Jude, he doesn't seem to be very particular about what order he puts things in. You know, I mean, I, I look at this little short book of 25 verses and think, you know, I probably would have ordered it a little bit differently. You know, I'd put what, what they were doing, how they were doing it, and then what's going to be the end result of them. But, you know, the Lord didn't ask me to write this, you know, thank goodness because I probably would have messed it up. He did it right. So we'll, we'll follow his pattern. So first of all, well, I want to mention too, you probably notice as you read through Jude, if you read through it more than once anyway, you might even notice the first time, that Jude likes the number three. Just like the Apostle John liked the number seven, Jude likes three. And he gives us examples in threes. And first of all, he's going to show us three examples of the certainty of God's judgment on these false teachers and and evildoers. So he wants to remind us things that we once knew. Now we we I think everybody in here probably knows a whole lot about the Bible, but there's a lot that we know. And just kind of push to the background and, and don't remember and don't, don't consider. Really Im- important facts. Spurgeon said, you know, as for the root facts, the fundamental doctrines, the primary truths of scriptures, we must from day to day insist upon them. We must never say, well, everybody knows them, for alas, everybody forgets them. Jude is reminding his listeners of some, or readers of something that they knew about but may have forgotten about, and that is that when the Lord brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, he had to judge those and destroy those who did not believe. Now, you know, when, when the children of Israel left Egypt, I mean, so many miraculous things happened. Just first of all, all the plagues and things that got them out of the land of Egypt, you know, culminating with the, the death of the firstborn and the sparing of the firstborn of the Israelites who put the door over uh, the blood over their doorposts, the drowning of, of Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, the manna, all these things that, that God did for them and provided for them and showed them you know, His presence, showed them His protection, showed them that He was keeping His word to them. And so when they get to the edge of the promised land, they get to Kadesh Barnea, and Moses sends in the spies, and they come back with a bad report and saying hey there's big guys over there they're giants they're strong they're numerous i mean this is a wonderful land but we can't defeat those people everybody you know of the 12 everybody except joshua and caleb you know said uh uh-uh. uh you know we can't we can't do this and the Children of Israel listened to them and refused to go in. Because of their refusing, God judged them and said, you're going to die in the wilderness. Everybody who left out of Egypt will die in the wilderness. Your children will go in, but you won't go in. Everybody, that is, except Caleb and Joshua. So he's reminding and first of all, of something they knew that God judged the disbelievers in the wilderness. Secondly, he says in verse 6, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Uh, Jude is well known for bringing up controversial and obscure things, you know, and this is one of them, you know, angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode. You know, this leaves, opens up a lot of questions. We're not going into a lot of detail on this this morning, but just enough to maybe, uh, stir your imagination that you'll do a little bit more research, but uh, what on earth is he talking about? Angels who did not keep their proper domain. Well, let's look back to, to Genesis 6, and I think that's where he is referring to. In fact, I'll turn back there and we'll read a couple of verses of Genesis 6 real quick. Now, it came to pass When men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. Hmm. Sons of God, daughters of men. Now, there are different explanations for this. You know, some people think it's the righteous line of Seth versus the uh, ungodly line of Cain. Personally, you know, my opinion is he is talking about angelic beings cohabitating with human beings. Well, how can I say that? Well, first of all, the sons of God, look, look over in, in Job chapter verse 1. It says a day when the sons of God presented himself before the Lord, you know, speaking of angelic beings and Satan happened to come into the midst of them. Then you may ask, well, how can angels and humans have children? Good question. But you know that Angels can take on human form, can't they? We find several instances you know, in the Old Testament where angels have taken on human form and appeared to men. We're also told in the New Testament that very often, or it is possible, not necessarily very often, but it is possible that we have entertained angels you know, thinking we were just doing kindness to a human person and of course you know Jude's uh, alluding here to the angels who did not keep their proper domain what is their proper domain within the spiritual realm and in service to god they left their abode and went where they didn't belong so and because of the angelic beings and humans, you know, procreating that produced uh, an unnatural race of people. Giants, you know, big folk. And God wasn't pleased with this. And it says, you know, that God found Noah, you know, a man who was perfect in his generations. Now, my thinking on this, and I'm, I'm, just, I'm not saying what the Bible says, but I'm saying what, what I think the Bible says, um, that what it means by Noah being perfect in his generation, he was probably, very likely, he and his family the only ones that were left on the face of the earth who were purely of the lineage of Adam. In other words, perfect, you know, in his generation. So God wiping out all of the the others, you know, preserving the perfect line of, of Adam for you know, the generations after the flood. Now, But God took these angels, you know, the ones who didn't keep their proper domain and judge them put the reserve them in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day uh, most people think that you know or a lot of people think this is referring to you know chaining them up in in the uh, abyss you know in total darkness you know i'm not so sure about that because you know chains refers to bondage right And darkness, well, darkness is the absence of light. I think, you know, these angels could possibly even still be loose today, you know, as demons, but are bound, you know, by a couple of things. First, bound for for future judgment, and also bound by their own sin. The same way that we were bound by sin before Jesus set us free and in darkness because they are just totally absent from the light of God from the light of the truth they are so depraved so much in darkness that they cannot see the light they don't have the opportunity that we have to come to the light and hear the gospel but the point that he is making here is that God judged angels. He will. He's also going to judge people, you know, who sin and who do, who do not believe, and especially those that he's talking about in this book, who lead other people astray. And the third example: Sodom and Gomorrah. The cities around them in similar matter to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth at his example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now, another reason that I think, you know, that in the reference to the angels leaving their abode, that he is talking about them having the angels having sexual relations with, with women is because he uses the the conjunction as you know then referring to Sodom and Gomorrah and of course their the they had other sins other than sexual sins, but their main sin was sexual perversion. Now, of it says they gave themselves over to sexual immorality and have gone after strange flesh. You know, there's something happening in the world today, particularly in, in Western civilization. You know, where sexual perversion is, is becoming the norm, isn't it? We are being pressured on all sides, even you know, the secular world trying to pressure the church into the acceptance of sexual perversion. It is so, so prevalent anymore. And our young people are growing up being taught that this is normal. It's hard to imagine what it was like to live in Solomon Gomorrah in that day but I don't think we have to look too far to find similar situations going on I remember the first time I ever went to San Francisco I said you know I want to see as much of the city as I can in fact I talked to my boss into letting me go out a day early you know by showing him that I could actually go out a day early and save save him money he was all for it But I went out a day early just so I could have a a day to explore the city because I had never been there. And I said, I wanna see as much of it as I can. The only place I don't want to go is to Castro Street, which is the center of uh, the gay lifestyle in San Francisco. Well, I get on the shuttle from the airport going to my hotel downtown. Where is the first place we go? Castro Street I mean I felt like I was in Sodom and Gomorrah or I've heard a lot of people say you know if God doesn't judge places like this he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah but if you'll remember you know God was willing to spare Sodom and Gomorrah even for five righteous people well you couldn't find them I think there's more than that in San Francisco that's probably the only reason that it hasn't fallen into the Pacific Ocean yet but anyway, you know I'm saying that to say this that you know we we are being pressured today by society within the church to accept the very thing that God judged Solomon Gomorrah for in those days and you know God judged Solomon Gomorrah by sending fire on the city. By destroying the city with fire. But but Jude says, you know, that's not all that he did. He said, they are judged by an eternal fire. Suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. You know, hell is an eternal fire, isn't it? Now, in verse 8, Or beginning in verse 8, he tells us three of the main sins of these false teachers. He says, Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Now, we've just talked about defiling the flesh, you know, and how that is done. But. These evil teachers were rejecting authority. What authority were they rejecting? What authority do false teachers today reject? They reject the authority of the Word of God. If we don't recognize the authority of the Word of God, then we have to substitute in place of it some other authority. And they, like false teachers today, were inserting their own authority over the authority of God's Word. If we replace God's Word with any other authority, no matter how good it may sound, no matter how humane it may sound, we are being false teachers. We have to be extremely careful with God's Word, Not, not to substitute The norms of society, not to substitute what society would expect of us so that we can fit in. We have to take God's word as it is given to us and not substitute anything else. And then he says, they speak evil of dignitaries. What dignitaries? Hmm. First of all, you know, they speak evil of the Lord Himself. Anytime that we take His Word and weaken it, anytime we take His His Word and substitute our own for it, you know, we're speaking evil of the one who gave us the Word. Anytime that we don't listen to those that the Lord has put in authority over us and we do have those who who are in authority over us you know to watch over us overseers if you will you know in our case you know here Pastor Bill you know it's his job to watch over us if if we don't listen to him we are then following the same example as these false teachers Verse 9. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Oh, here's another one of those things that Jude's bringing up, you know. Where does he get this? You can't find it any place in the Bible. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy where when Moses died, you know that he he was buried, you know, by the Lord. Nobody knew where his grave was. We just know that someplace in the land of Moab. But Jude tells us that, you know, after Moses died, that there was a contention over what to do with his body. A dispute between Michael the archangel and Satan himself. Well First of all, who's Michael? Well he's an archangel. He is the archangel. Archangel is only mentioned one time in the Bible. Or one archangel is mentioned in the Bible, and that is Michael. And he's only mentioned in three three places. In Daniel, in Revelation, you know, and in Jude. Of course, Archangel means you know high up, you know, chief angel. This this sort of thing. Now this was written about in uh, a writing known as the Assumption of Moses. And it's uh, it's a Jewish apocryphal writing. It's not part of the inspired writings of the Bible, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't contain biblical truth, you know. I think if it wasn't true, um uh, Jude wouldn't have written about it here, but that. But what I'm saying is, the entire writing of the Assumption of Moses is not inspired writing, even though it may contain truth, just like the Book of Enoch that we're going to talk about, you know, in a little bit. But yeah, uh, you know, what the point he's he's making here is that when it comes to uh, Speaking evil of dignitaries, if you will, or speaking evil of those who are uh, in authority in the church, you know, even up up to the Lord Himself. That Michael the Archangel, the chief of all the angels, didn't take it, bring an accusation himself against Satan, but he simply said, "The Lord rebuke you, not not I rebuke you, or anybody else." He didn't fight with him, he didn't contend with him, other than to say, the Lord rebuke you. So, it's not so much why he was contending with Satan that we need to look about right here, but how he contended with Satan. He let the Lord do it. He let the Lord do all the rebuking, because when the Lord rebukes you, you are rebuked somebody else rebukes you even an angel you know it's not as good so, okay verse 10 but these speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they know naturally like brute beast in these things they corrupt themselves more bad characteristics of, of these guys They talk about things they don't know about, and the things that they do know about, the things of man, the things that they naturally know, they corrupt, and in doing so, corrupt themselves, and corrupt teachers cannot bring anything to us except corrupt teaching and corrupt fruit. You don't get good fruit from a bad tree. And these are bad trees. These are corrupt trees. Now, verse 11, he gives us three examples from the writings of Moses of these false teachers. First, he says, For woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. Now, what about Cain? We know Cain killed his brother. Why did he kill his brother? Out of hatred for him. He was lacking in faith, wasn't he? Righteous Abel was killed by wicked Cain. Righteousness comes by faith. Abel had faith; Cain did not. You know, when they brought their their offerings to the Lord, you know, remember Cain brought his grain, the fruit of his, the, the land and Abel brought a lamb well it says that you know, Abel brought his, his offering in, in faith and that's why he was accepted Cain brought his offering without faith and that's why he wasn't accepted righteousness comes by faith if Cain had come in faith, he, he would have been accepted as well. So, these come the same way. They have they've gone the way of Cain. They have gone the way of the lack of faith. They have gone the way of, of hatred, if you will, even for their fellow man. And they have uh, run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit. Remember the story of Balaam? Here again you need to refresh your memory on this. You know, when the children of Israel coming out of Egypt were, you know, going toward the Promised Land, entered into, you know, getting ready to enter into Moab. The king of Moab was scared of them. And so he hired Balaam, a prophet of the Lord to curse them. And Balaam couldn't. The Lord wouldn't let him. And so the king of Moab offered him, you know, great wealth to curse the children of Israel. Well, he still couldn't do it, but he came up with something else, you know. He said, yeah, I can't curse them because the Lord won't let me, but I'll tell you what you do. You send your daughters in to the children of Israel and let your daughters lure them away from the Lord, and the Lord will curse them, which is what happened. But Balaam did this for money, you know, because not because he loved the Lord, but because he loved the money. He's talking about teachers who love money more than they love even their fellow man. Now... Have you ever heard a TV evangelist begging for money? <laughs> Have you ever heard a TV evangelist not begging for money? Yeah, there are a few of them. There are a few good ones. I, I don't want to stand up here and talk, sound like you know anybody who who shows up on TV, you know, is is a charlatan. There are some some really good ones, but we need to listen to what they are are saying, you know. I, I, on this one, you know, I, I kind of agree with the Didache on this. The Didache is a, uh, a it means teaching. You know, it was written early in the church to, you know, help establish the the form of of worship and so forth. But also, you know, some instructions on itinerant preachers. They didn't have TV teachers in those days, but they did have itinerant preachers, and they said, you know, anybody who First of all, who stays more than three days is a false teacher. And secondly, if he asks for money, he's a false teacher. Well, I don't think any, any ministry that asks for money is necessarily false. Though I, I think they are somewhat misguided. Because I, I am firmly of the opinion that if a ministry is of God, God is going to take care of it, and He is going to supply the need, the financial need. He will see to it that that ministry has what it needs to have. That's why we don't talk about money here. And God supplies our need. Now, I think sometimes ministries might get a little bit in the flesh and and, and get worried about people not, not giving. But when you have one that does, that, that the whole crux of their ministry is, you know, sending money, then, then you can almost be assured that you have a false teacher going on here. Unless you're a false teacher like Reverend Ike. Now, I happen to like Reverend Ike because Reverend Ike tells you exactly what he's doing. He said, I want you to send money because I want to be rich. You know, at least he's up front about it. You, know, you have to, you have to respect that. But <clears throat> now, if somebody asks you for seed money, you know, that's a really good invitation to turn off the TV or change the channel or do something. Anyway, uh, and ver- and also in verse eleven, though, and perished in the rebellion of Cora. Now, Cora. <clears throat> If you recall, this is this. All three of these examples are from uh, the writings of, of Moses. Also, when the children of Israel were, you know, going through the wilderness, Korah, who who was a Levite, but not of the priestly line of Aaron, was envious of the authority that Moses had, and and he challenged Moses. Well. God didn't appreciate that too much, and the earth opened up and swallowed up Cora. You know, I think we need to be, you know, we need to be very careful, you know, if we are going to challenge the uh, anointed people of God, we need to make sure what we're doing. And I think if, you know, false teachers will do that, but if we are being led of the Lord, then, you know. The Lord is going to keep us from doing that. Now, verse 12. These are spots in your love feast. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, they are clouds without water, carried about by the wind, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. They are spots in your love feast. The word spots could have easily been translated rocks or rocks in the sea, you know. They can they can sink ships. You know. He's talking about teachers who have slipped into the church unnoticed, who fellowship with us, who eat with us, and during the love feasts as he refers to it here that's what they were called today we call it a potluck but you know then there were a lot of there's a lot of teaching went on in those days these guys have infiltrated the church you know for the purpose of false teaching and remember the quote that I gave you last week from Spurgeon who said you know the devil knows that, you know, one devil in the church is far more effective than a thousand on the outside because it is from the inside that we can be corrupted. It is from the inside, you know, that we begin to rot. Now, and then, you know, the rest of the description is simply that these people don't have anything to offer except things that will harm us rather than, than help us. Think, things that are for our detriment, they're not here for our, you know, to uplift us and to draw us closer to the Lord. Verse 14, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among all of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So now he's quoting from the book of Enoch. Like I say, Jude is you know, he's on a roll when he writes this this little short book. The book of Enoch. Now, that's another apocryphal book. I I think it was Tertullian, if I'm not mistaken, who said that the book of Enoch was regularly read by the Jews up until the time of, of Jesus and the time of the apostles, um, after which it was, they tried to destroy it because too many references were found which pointed right directly to Jesus Christ. Well, the book of Enoch is an apocryphal book. That means that it's 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 peripheral. It has some things that, that go along with the canon of Scripture, but there's some things in it that, that cause it to be questionable. Now, was it written by Enoch? Well, Jude seems to imply that it was, you know. So I'm not going to go there. Um, I'll, I'll leave that to you to do your own research on that. But you know, the point he is making is that whoever wrote this prophesied that these guys were going to, it was going to happen. Yeah. That there were going to be false teachers and that the Lord was going to execute judgment on them. If you remember back in verse uh, uh, three, uh, yeah, four, I believe, uh, says, you know, there were certain men who crept in unnoticed, uh, who were long ago marked out for this condemnation. You know, it was prophesied, you know, a long time ago, that these guys were going to show up, and you know, even the Lord Himself promised, you know, that there would be those who would would slip in and try to corrupt the church. In verse 16, he says, these are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. Here again, showing us that this was prophesied, that this was going to happen. And it was not only happening in Jude's time, it is happening today just as much as it was then, if not more. Verse 19, these are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. You know, I don't care what kind of teacher you are, I don't care how good your intent may be, how, how, how much you think you, you are doing good to mankind. If you are not working in the Spirit of God, if you don't have the Spirit of God guiding you, then what you are teaching is, is going to be wrong, and it's going to be of, of no avail. Now, what kind of false teachers do we have to contend with today? Well, the same kind that, that that Jude wrote about in his little book here. We have, of course, problems without. you know, I think maybe our problems without are worse today than they were then. I don't know. I wasn't back then. but you know we have a, an educational system today that is pushing. Away from Christianity, away from our Judeo Christian foundings and and our uh, system of of morality. Secularization is the, I guess, the code word of the day. Privatization of our own personal beliefs is, you know, whatever you want to believe is fine, just as long as you practice it by yourself. But, you know, all these things like that, all the pressures from without are not what really corrupts the church, not really what hurts the church so bad. It is the teaching from within. It is pastors who stand in the pulpit and who water down the Word of God, who say, that was for then, you know, this is a different time. who say you know, that the scriptures contain the word of God, but there are some of it that just don't apply to us today. There are even people in the pulpit today who say, really, none of it applies to us today unless you particularly want it to. Like in the one of the Israel's darkest times, you know, the Bible says every man did what was right in his own eyes. In other words, there's no standard. What's right for you may not be right for me. What's right for me may not be right for you. You know, the Bible says that the scripture is of no private interpretation. God's word is God's word. And it is God's word for me, and it is God's word for you. It is the same word for me as it is for you. It it doesn't matter what you feel. It doesn't matter what you think. It is what it is. The prevailing thought today which has crept into the church is that man is the standard of all things not God is the standard of all things <clears throat> when we see man is the standard then God's standard goes away and we are then in danger of being the kind of, of people that Jude is talking about We need to revere the Lord and revere His Word above all things because His standard is the standard that we are going to be judged by when we stand before Him. I am saving the last few verses of, of Jude for another time. Unlike you know, the first 19 verses, uh, these are some of the most beautiful words written in the Bible. So take time to read them before then. But I hope all of us will remember you know, that it is God's word that we are to live by and not our own. Roy? Channel 16. Let's stand to be dismissed. Yeah, when Pastor Bill's here, things just kind of go off the rails sometimes. When Pastor Bill is here, things go off the rails sometimes. (laughs) It's just in a different way. (laughs) I will delight in the law of the Lord. I will.